Good afternoon, this is Quintus Curtius, and this podcast is going to be a discussion of the film The Revenant, The Revenant, which I saw yesterday, and about which I'll be publishing a review at Return of Kings tomorrow, Monday, January 11th. So I encourage listeners to read that review because I think this is a, a very, very important film, very great film, one of the best I've seen in, in years. And it's so refreshing for once to see something come out of Hollywood that's not about Hugo girlism, about uh, political correctness, about product endorsement, about uh, girl power nonsense. Uh, this is the real deal. This is a profound, deep film that has a lot of great themes for men and is something that I really think every man should read. And I got the idea to do this podcast and not wait till the release of the, the review tomorrow um, from a um, conversation I had on Twitter with a gentleman named uh, Ed Lattimore. And um, I don't I don't know Ed, uh, but um, I'm honored to, to follow him. Um, I think he's a, a boxer of some sort. I don't know exactly what his what uh, what his details are of his profession, but it doesn't matter in any case. Uh, he asked me about uh, the the film, some details about it. So I wanted to do this podcast to hope uh, that he can get out and see this movie today on Sunday and not wait till tomorrow. So this is for you, Ed. Hope it uh, hope it is of some use to you. So let's get into talking about the details of the film. You know, there's a story, which probably is apocryphal, but it's a nice story anyway, that the British general, James Wolfe, after having heard Thomas Gray's brilliant poem, Elegy, written in a country churchyard, which you should also read, uh, he told his officers, he said, Gentlemen, I would rather have written that poem than take Quebec tomorrow. And I thought of this as I left the theater yesterday because I said to myself, you know, now I know what he felt like. I so wish I could have been involved in, in the making of this movie. I would have loved to have been on location and suffering hypothermia with all the rest of the guys. But uh, uh, this this is, make no mistake, this is truly a great film for reasons that I will discuss here. And it's a film of great, uh, of surpassing and harrowing beauty. You know, there's, what, what I think the the major reason is what we have here are the stark, unvarnished themes of man's eternal struggles that we all deal with whether we're making our way across the frozen tundra or whether we're going to an office cubicle every day. It's the same thing, okay? We have to deal with our problems with courage, adversity, suffering, redemption, and revenge. And yet this story is told with such engaging simplicity and honesty that I couldn't help but be drawn in by it. And it, the, the movie achieves philosophic profundity and grandeur without even trying to preach to us at all. There's not one single word of preaching in this movie. It just tells its narrative and lets the message seep through all on its own. And when the message is played out against this vast uh, panorama of nature's terrifying uh, vastness and coldness, which are filmed in stark grays and whites, it makes all of our endeavors as men seem so pitiful by comparison. So um, what are the mechanics of the film? Well, I guess the from what, from what I've been able to find out, it was based on a novel, a 2002 novel by a gentleman named Michael Punka, 
or punk, I'm not sure. It's P-U-N-K-E, how to pronounce I guess punka, punka probably would be the right way to pronounce that. I don't know German. And I guess he apparently based his novel on the experiences of a frontiersman named Hugh Glass. Okay. And the gist of the the gist of the plot is that, you know, the year it's the year is 1823, and what we have is a expedition of fur trappers in the Western Territories. I guess it's Montana and South Dakota. And they're getting ready to transport their haul of uh, of pelts back to civilization. And, you know, we forget this now, but back in those days, pelts were a very, very valuable commodity. You know, as uh, just to have an aside here, uh, if you wanted to be in touch with all the latest fashions in Paris and London, you needed to have beaver pelts or animal pelts because they didn't have synthetic fibers back then. You know, everything had to be natural and pelts were literally worth... Um, a lot. I'm not going to say their weight in gold, but they were worth a lot. They were traded even on commodity exchanges, uh, hides and pelts. Anyway, uh, so the film starts with this, uh, the camp scenes of this, these frontiersmen and these fur trappers doing their thing. And then all of a sudden disaster strikes. The camp is hit by a, a war party of re-Indians. And this, this combat scene has to be one of the most graphic and and realistic uh, pre-industrial age combat scenes ever filmed i mean you you get the sense that which i think would be actually the case where arrows are just coming at you from nowhere and everywhere at the same time and the attack starts out gradually and then it just gets worse and worse and worse and only a small party escapes out of the the original camp, a lot of them are killed. A small party escapes. And then we're left with basically the, the, the one of the great themes of literature, which is the return to civilization through a hostile territory theme. And this is a theme as old as Xenophon's Anabasis. And it's a, it's a great theme, and movies have used it uh, on many occasions. I'm, I also am reminded of the movie The Warriors, which uh, 1979, a cla- 1979 cla- classic, has nothing to do with this movie, but the same theme, the return to friendly territory after being uh, attacked uh, in hostile territory. Now, what makes the movie so good is you've got a human drama here as well as this vast drama about man against nature. You've got what happens is, you know, the the, the the party that is, survives the attack, they're led by a mysterious figure named Glass. We don't learn very much about him, but it's clear that he's lived for a great many years among the Indians. He uh, is a mysterious, taciturn type of individual. He knows the Indians' ways. He speaks their languages. He's had an Indian wife and has a, a half-Pawnee son named Hawk. So he's a fascinating figure. He kind of reminds us as the, uh, the, um, the, it's a stock character, maybe as old as, as literature also, especially we see him with uh, James Fenimore Cooper's leather stocking tales when you've, you've got, um, you know, the, um, Natty Bumpo character, you know, this, the idea of the white man who lived among the Indians and knows their ways. And it's a, it's a, it's a good stock character, but Leonardo DiCaprio plays it very, very well. And we only really get to know a little bit about this guy, Glass, just by some of the voiceovers and flashbacks that we see in the movie, which reminded me in many ways of Terrence Malick's 1998 masterpiece, The Thin Red Line. 
And I don't think this is a coincidence because the, the movie, the, the, the Revenant's cinematographer, Emmanuel uh, Lubezki, has worked on Terrence Malick's most four recent films. So I think he used some of the same techniques there. Now, within, the, within this little party that survives the initial encounter, you've got sort of a lot of your, your stock and trade characters that you see whenever you assemble a large group of men together. You've got the, the stolid, uh, you know, resourceful leader. You've got the, 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 uh, the native tracker type who knows the Indians' ways. And then, you've, of course, you've got the treacherous, egotistical character played excellently by Tom Hardy, who almost steals the show in this, in this movie in many ways. The character's name is John Fitzgerald. And Hardy plays this guy with such subtlety and such incredible precision that you really get to see nuances in this character that you might not otherwise see. Now, the Fitzgerald character, he's not lacking in physical courage. He has it. But he is a guy who is entirely without any sort of moral compass. He cares about his own money. He cares about his own survival and not much about anything else. So this is the problem. And with that background, then we have a scene where the Leonardo DiCaprio character, Glass, is attacked by a grizzly bear while he's out, I guess, foraging for food. And it's got to be one of the most incredible scenes, uh, you know, man versus animal combat scenes or combat scenes in general ever filmed. This, I, I have no idea how they did this. It must have just been a mixture of CGI and you know, intercutting with models or, or um, you know, mock-ups or, or live bears, close-ups. I don't know how they did it, but it's so good that you can almost feel the slaver dripping on your neck or the the grizzly's teeth scraping against your skull. That's That's how good and convincing this is. Now, Glass survives this encounter, but just barely, and then the party is forced with one of those moral decisions as to whether they should try to bring him back civilization with them or should they just abandon him and leave him there and it, it soon becomes clear that they can't really carry him back so they leave him there with with the Tom Hardy character and with another guy and the deal is that they're they will receive a reward if they nurse this guy back to health and and uh, you know bring him back and if not to give him a proper burial and of course what ends up happening there is treachery intervenes Fitzgerald succumbs to his nature and betrays the group and commits treacherous actions, which you'll have to see. And Glass is left to fend for himself and to survive on his own. He's abandoned and left for dead in the middle of nowhere, literally with no food, barely able to walk. And thereby the scene is set for the one for one of the most harrowing and convincing survival stories ever put on film, which is what this is. So what we have here is a man animated by revenge, driven by a desire to right the wrongs done against him. And he's forced to rely on all of his resourcefulness, all of his skills, all of his abilities, all of his cunning, all of his uh, life essence to get back to civilization and avenge the death of his son and his own betrayal. So it's a it's a great theme, and you know there's there are a few themes that are better than revenge. You know we saw it with um, Alexandre Dumas, Count of Monte Cristo, even Hamlet. 
in many ways is a, a revenge story. So anyone who thinks that revenge and vengeance is not a good theme uh, needs to think again because it, it, it is. It's a great theme for a movie and it's something that certainly doesn't uh, doesn't take a big stretch of the imagination for viewers to relate to because we can all relate to that sort of thing. Now, let's talk about the actual cinematography of this movie. We're told that the, the Revenant took nine months of grueling location shooting to piece together. And I guess the cast and crew flew to remote locales in Canada, Argentina, United States. And all the filming was done with natural light. There's no artificial light involved here. And I think the director, uh, uh, the director whose name, again, I think I said it before, Alejandro Iñárritu, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know if I am. I don't know Spanish. But in any case, Mr. Iñárritu did a great job with the natural lighting. And I think it was important for him not to have anything artificial in this movie. So we're immersed completely in this blood-freezing beauty and power of nature with no filters or barriers between us and the great reality here. And another thing I, I really appreciated was the lack of sentimentality. There's no sentimentality here. There's no... There's no saccharine Hollywood sicky sweet glamour glamorizing or idealizing the Indians as was done I think in Dances with Wolves I mean they're presented the, the Indians are presented exactly as what they were just a, a, a normal people like any other doing their best to survive with the same capacity to inflict cruelties as they had to offer the most transcendent kindnesses so there's no one-dimensionality here. Every character here has their own motivations, and nobody is a, a wooden character. Everyone has both good and bad motivations that drive them. And even even Fitzgerald, even the, the bad guy, he seems to, over time, elicit a small measure of sympathy from the viewer in some ways, right up until the very last scene. I don't really know why that is, but for some reason, maybe we just get the sense that there's so much suffering out there and there's so much hardship that we almost wonder if this type of thing doesn't happen more often you know not to justify it but we can just we can see how it it would happen and it's all part of nature's grand design but what really makes the film great and really what i think makes it a extremely masculine film and the type of film that a man would benefit from are the themes there's no preaching here, as I said. There's no preaching at all, but the themes that the movie deals with are great themes, and they're the themes that we all have to deal with in our lives. And what are those? Physical courage, survivability or survival, coping with adversity, the necessity of redemption, and the possible, possible hollowness of revenge. And the movie ends on just the right note because we're not sure at the end whether it was all worth it or not. But that level of philosophical ambiguity is, is perfectly in keeping with the tenor of the film and doesn't detract from it at all. And what I really liked about this movie, and one final thing that I'll say, was there were overtones of mysticism here and of of unredressed, unresolved moral ambiguities that were lurking inside Glass's character. We know that his wife 
was killed in one of those frontier Indian wars that happened a lot in the 19th century. But we don't really know the full story behind it. And we hear her voice prompting him on throughout the movie to greater and greater feats of courage and endurance. And I think that's really true. That's how it is. When we have loved ones that we've lost, we hear them, they become part of us, and we feel them. And they never really leave us. They always stay with us. So that's why I think that every man should see this movie and that's why I think it's one of the most masculine films that I've seen probably in the past few years, maybe in the past 10 years. So, Ed, I encourage you to get out there and see this movie if you can before Sunday draws to a close. That will bring my podcast here to a conclusion. I'm Quintus Curtius. This podcast was brought to you courtesy of Fortress of the Mind Productions. If you enjoyed it, I would ask you to please go to my podcast section on iTunes, which you can find on my website, qcurtius.com, and leave a comment. They all matter, and they all help others to find these podcasts. I'm Quintus Curtius. Good night.